Hello and welcome to the Next in Line podcast where we are helping to prepare you for whatever is next in line. As always, I am your host, Chance Pitts, and I would like to thank you for tuning into this episode. Guys and gals, welcome into this episode. Today we are going to do a post-race review for Big Texas Backyard Ultra. That is the last man standing backyard style ultra marathon that we ran in Cat Spring, Texas this past weekend. Before we get too far into that, guys, let's take care of some housekeeping and announcements. If you receive value from this episode or any other episode of the Next in Line podcast, I ask that you share the show with like-minded individuals who could receive that same kind of value. That's the best way for us to grow this podcast, to grow this movement, and in effect, help as many people as possible reach their full potential. Now, guys, make sure you're following us and keeping up with all the race updates, live updates from any of the events that we have going on, and just the daily things that we get to post on our social media account that is at Next Line Development on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. We'd love to hear from you there as well. Shoot us a DM there, guys, with any questions, comments, concerns, or recommendations you might have for the podcast as well. Now, guys, for events, we have the Brazos Bend 100 in Brazos Bend State Park in Needville, Texas on December 2nd. Michael Ruiz will be out there looking to run his first 100-mile ultramarathon. We'll have a great group of people out there to pace and crew for him as he strives to achieve this goal of his. He's been doing a great job the past couple of years of really getting into endurance running and athlete uh, athletics and then transforming that into running a marathon and then a ultra marathon and now segueing into taking on this massive event that is the 100 mile ultra marathon super stoked for him he's going to do an amazing job at that race um, and we're excited about being out there supporting him and supporting a couple of other runners that we have running shorter distances as well. If you're thinking about running the race or wanting to get involved or just hang out with us in an event like that, feel free to shoot us a DM, guys. We'd love to have you out there. We'll have a big uh, crew-style aid station, big tent, canopy, all that good stuff out there, uh, just helping Michael achieve his goal. So we'd be glad to hear from you and see you out there as well. Then, guys, we are adding a race to the schedule for early next year. We have a training run that we need to knock out in the neighborhood of January 1st through 15th. And we stumbled upon the Hoka Bandera 100K. That race is running on January 13th and 14th and Bandera, Texas. Uh, it's a very challenging race. Uh, it's a very competitive race, a very technical one as well. Um, and it will absolutely have some insane competition out there uh, i think courtney dewalter went out there and won the 100k last year uh, got her golden ticket to western states and just it's one of those races that uh i think is going to be an amazing experience i think it's going to be extremely challenging it's going to be one that's going to push the limits but it'll be a good one to be part of and like i said it'll be a training run for some things that we have later in the year uh, but we'll get to that here in just a little bit Guys and gals, Big Texas Backyard Ultra. This thing was a beast. It was tough. It was a great event. It was a ton of fun. We had five runners out there. We had Ty McFarlane, Billy Pitts, Chris Barnes, Michael Ruiz, and myself. And we had a just absolutely phenomenal crew of individuals. I'm not going to try to name them all because there was a ton of people there. And each and every one of them 
did a phenomenal job, and I would hate to forget one name on this podcast. Um, so they did such a great job. None of the runners could have gone the distance as they went without the support and without the help of those great people. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much to those of y'all that helped out. But guys, for those of y'all that don't know what a backyard ultramarathon is, this race is every hour on the hour, you run a 4.2 mile loop. Within that hour, you have to complete the 4.2 miles, get any aid station stops you need. So that's any nutrition, any food, change of clothes, blister care, anything that you can think of. Take a shower, take a nap, whatever it might be. You have to knock all of that out and be ready to go on the line when the next lap starts on the next hour. So I'm talking about it starts at 7 a.m. You run your loop. You go take care of your food, your hydration, go to the bathroom, whatever you need to do. And at 7.59 and 50 seconds, you better be ready to roll in the box so that you can take off at 8 o'clock on the dot. And if you're not ready to go and in the box and taking off with the group group at 8, then you're out. You're eliminated from the race. And this goes on until there's only one person left. And it might seem kind of easy running 4.2 miles in an hour that is essentially a 14 plus mile pace that you can run. It's pretty simple, right? But you really have to think about those things you're adding in that nutrition, the hydration, the sleep, the rest, the recovery, the swapping of shoes, going to the bathroom, all those little things that start to add time. And then whenever you add other factors in like a challenging race venue, that is seven IL. Yes, it's very flat, but much like the Habanero 100 uh, that we ran the 100-mile race in two years ago, and then we did the relay this past year, there's a huge aspect of sand and just open cattle pastures to this race. In fact, for the beginning of the loop, you run out of the pins area, the barn area, and you head straight out into an open pasture. And then you take a little bit of a detour and a U-turn from that leg and you run out onto the gravel road and it ties straight into another pasture in which you go into some of the loosest beach style sand that you could ever find yourself running in. And you run in that for a while and you fight it back and forth and there's some different changes back there. Uh, But for about the front half of this 4.2 mile loop, you find yourself in unsure footing out there in the sand. And then sure enough, whenever it does get to a point of being a little bit more open, a little bit more stable footing, you start to hit some hills. And whenever you start to hit those hills, it changes your pace, obviously. If you're going to go a long distance race like that, a lot of the common strategies are you walk the ups and the downhills. You walk the uphill so you don't tear up your hamstrings and you walk the downhills so you don't tear up your quads. And you save and conserve as much energy as possible so that you can make it around there as many times as you can. And there's some people that did a phenomenal job of that this weekend, a lot of our runners included. So going into a race like this, I had never run one before. I had listened to a million podcasts. I've watched a few race uh, documentaries over people doing races like this. And I really just tried to understand 
ways to conserve energy, the best ways to to extend your race out. But I really knew going into this, as many of y'all know, KD225 was my goal. I was trained up for a point-to-point 225-mile ultramarathon, which whenever you look at this on paper, you think 4.2-mile loop, oh, this guy can probably run forever. Well, the format's a little bit different, right? The pace that you've got to keep, the time for rest and recovery, the ability to slow down and really focus on nutrition and really dive into your hydration when you need to, those are all factors that really played a big role in changing the race that we had. Another huge factor that we had, remember I talked about the gravel, the open sand um, out there that was really deep, and then just the open air that we were in with no shade at all. Uh, Remember those factors. You've also got to factor in the heat. Everybody was really thinking that we might get some early fall weather, uh, some cooler weather in the 70s and 80s, but Cat Spring being Cat Spring and uh, Southeast Houston being Southeast Houston, or Southeast Texas, I should say, being Southeast Texas, we ended up with about 93 degree weather and a wind or a uh, heat index, a heat factor being closer to 100 degrees. It was an extremely challenging race and the conditions were not easy either. Therefore, we had a lot of individuals get taken out by those factors alone. So whenever you really dive into that, it's important to have a good nutrition plan and hydration plan. So what we did, our approach, if you will, was I plan to take water and tailwind out on every loop with me. My goal was to consume about 200 calories worth of tailwind and to eat fruit, to eat solid foods uh, for another 150 to 200 calories each loop. That was my nutrition plan. I started out with uh, with fruit like bananas. I started out with peanut butter sandwiches, things that were light and easy to manage as we went into the heart hot parts of the day. Uh, Then I switched to uh, chicken quesadillas, I switched to some mashed potatoes and some other things as well to really stack on the calories. And uh, there's a great lessons learned that we'll get to into the, uh, we'll get into on the Q&A side of things here in just a minute. We had a lot of questions that people were asking about the race. So we wanted to add in a section to, uh, to answer some of those questions for you. But recapping just the overview of this race, guys. This format was a little foreign to us. The loop was a very challenging one because it was such loose footing up front, followed by some hills in the back. The weather turned out to be this this big monster that took a lot of people out and that a lot of people struggled with uh, throughout the duration of this race. And and ultimately, I think it, it was one of the biggest factors in this race not going near as far as it could have. Um, but ultimately, for me, one of my biggest issues and what ended up taking me out was I've had some knee issues I've been fighting back and forth. I ended up having my knee lock up on me uh, and not being able to run one of my loops really, uh, at least for the first half of it, because my knee was acting up at about mile 30. And I fought this for a very long time. I went back and forth. It's not something I'm foreign to. I've dealt with it in races many times. Um, it's been something that's bothered me in training runs. It was actually a worry of mine going up into this uh, this long race that I had trained for because I've had several knee issues here in the past. But I fought this knee thing for a very long time, and it flared its head up multiple times between 30 and, and 75, and ultimately deep into the night on 
the 75th mile um, or the loop that completed 75 miles, I should say. I really had it dial in and bother me and flare up in a way that concerned me enough to where I didn't think that I should keep going. And because of that, my knee is ultimately what took me out of this race. Um, I was actually really happy with how I fared in the weather conditions, in the handling the format where I walked, where I ran, how my body reacted to things. I was really not fatigued muscle-wise. I really wasn't sore. I really wasn't hurting a whole lot. It was mainly just that my knee was bothering me. And it really got to the point that I, I feel like I could have kept running. I felt like I could have done a lot more. And if conditions were better and I wasn't fighting against sand, then it would have been a really good decision to keep going. And I probably would have been able to, to go for a long time. However, that wasn't the case that day. And, and like I said, I was eliminated 18 loops into the race and 75 miles in as well. So what that was able to give me was enough to take third place overall. There was two individuals that stuck it out longer than I did. They did an absolutely phenomenal job. Both the guys were really strong runners, and they looked like they were really strong going into the latter parts of the race as well. So that was a really neat experience, and uh, and I'm pretty happy with what I was able to do. Now, with that being said, we had uh, all of our other guys did a great job as well. Ty was able to knock out four loops or four or 16.7 miles as well. Billy Pitts was able to knock out six loops or about 25 miles. Chris Barnes was able to knock out seven loops or 29.2 miles. Michael Ruiz was able to knock out nine loops or 37 and a half miles. And like I said, I took third overall with 18 loops and 75 miles. So as a group and as a whole, we had a great experience. And like I said, nobody in this list could have gone near as far as they did uh, and wouldn't have been even close to the distances that they were able to reach without the phenomenal crew that we had. This was a challenging event. It was something that was that was really involved. We weren't fully trained up for it. It wasn't our style of running that we were ready for, but man, I will say it was a great experience and I really look forward to doing one again. Um, and I know guys, I was a little quick on the overview and getting this thing rounded out as far as the, uh, the true overview of this race, but I wanted to save some of the really intricate parts for the questions that I was asked because we had a really good list of questions that we uh, we put out a link on our social media and from there we had a lot of people ask us several things about this event in particular the training and just overall how we're managing everything and all the craziness in life so with that guys I want to tie into the questions here so question number one was what was your plan going into this race considering you had been training for a 225 miler with multiple aid stations and not as strict of a time frame? So my plan was to really hone in on what these loops needed to be, what my recovery, what my idle time at the end needed to be for me to get the proper nutrition, the proper water, the proper uh, opportunity for rest and recovery and to sit down for a few minutes. So what that looked like to me was holding about a 12 minute mile pace coming in somewhere between 48 and 50 minutes on each lap so that I had about 10 minutes to take care of whatever it was that I needed to take care of. And it seemed to work really well. I was actually able to dial in and get my times very, very consistent on that 50 minute mark. 
so coming in with about 10 minutes to spare was a really, really solid thing. I was able to handle everything I needed to because the crew was amazing. I was able to get my tailwind filled back up, my water filled back up, all of my nutrition filled back into my pockets or, or eat it while I was sitting down there at the tent um, and just making sure that all my needs were met. I was also able to grab 10 minutes not in the direct sunlight out in the heat during the big parts of the day. I was able to, to focus and cool down change shirts, change shoes, socks, whatever it might be, uh, just to get a little bit more comfortable and to make sure that I was in this thing for the long haul. So that was my strategy to give myself as much of a fighting chance to, uh, to take care of myself as possible and to focus on the recovery side and to focus on the side that help with the longevity of sticking to a race like this. Next question is, do you feel like there are other activities you'd like to add into your training? Absolutely. There's two main ones that I'll be adding in um, here recently uh, with the help of um, Kelly, a lady that's been coaching me um, here phenomenally. Uh, she's she's great. She's, uh, she's the reason I'm able to run right now and to be healthy. She's helped me through a lot of these knee issues and a lot of these pains. Um, and maybe one day I'll be fortunate enough to get her on the podcast as well. But um, she has helped me incorporate a lot of stretching and a lot of yoga poses as well. So I'd like to further explore the yoga side of things for recovery, for core strength, um, for flexibility, and to give me a little bit of a fair shot at the longevity of some of these races and staying healthy and avoiding various injuries as well. And on the same injury avoidance front and strengthening, uh, I will be adding in some weight training, um, endurance style, to where I'll be doing some different lower body stuff on a regular basis, probably two times a week, uh, really looking to strengthen some of the auxiliary muscles in my legs to, uh, to help strengthen around the knee, to help strengthen, uh, and support the IT band, piriformis, all these, all these smaller muscles that can be a big problem whenever you're running some of these long endurance races. So really focusing on yoga and stretching style approach to things and also implementing that endurance style strength training if you will. The next question is, how does recovery look now compared to when you first started running? That's a great question. Um, like I said, I, I was in the middle of getting some knee pain and some craziness going on. And, uh, something that ultimately took me out of the race was that knee pain. And even though I experienced that, and even though I kind of went down a path that I've been down before with having some of these same issues I fought with because I backed off and because I played it smart, I'm actually in a spot where I can start running again. And honestly, even for the muscle fatigue side of things, for the joint pains, all the, uh, getting back my system back in, in to, uh, equilibrium, if you will, because your body just completely goes out of whack. Whenever you run one of these long races, and you demand all this craziness from it. I've been able to get back on a path of being two to three days and I'm ready to go again. Um, that hasn't always been the case for me. It's been after running my first ultra marathon and after running my second one way too close together, my recovery window was really, really long. I had some issues with joint pain. I had some issues with my knee that it was extenuated and just, just, a very, very long recovery process. I was sore forever. I was tired forever. I was 
my body was all over the map. Felt like I had the flu for several, several days after uh, after the long run. So different things like that were factors. But now I'm able to get back in the groove, go back to running, go back to lifting, go back to getting my diet the way it needs to go and feeling like myself again within a couple of days after races, which is honestly absolutely insane to me. Um, I also think it has to do with the way I approach races, which is a sustainable effort throughout is way better than going out and pushing until you blow up and uh, then trying to piece together the rest of the race, which is something a lot of young and inexperienced runners like myself do. Um, So taking care of myself in the race and in the moment definitely does a lot to help me with that recovery window, if you will. Next, what was your fuel plans going into the race and how did they change as the race progressed? Uh, I had, like I said, I had some fruits, I had some tailwind, I had some uh, peanut butter sandwiches that I was planning on eating. I was planning on eating real food in the form of quesadillas, burger, uh, sandwiches, all that stuff later in the race. I had some ramen noodles, had some instant mashed potatoes, and I was planning on getting all that stuff going, and a lot of it I did get going, but what I figured out is the true whole foods played a much better role. And what I mean by that is... I didn't break into the instant mashed potatoes, but I will say that mashed potatoes were the best fuel that I had during this race. And that is because Chris Barnes shared with me a whole mess of potatoes that he brought that were actual real potatoes, not some powdered crap uh, that I went to put back into my body. And because of that, man, I felt like a million bucks out there. My nutrition was on point. Uh, I was sustaining completely off of the tailwind and the mashed potatoes i would eat some extra fruit and little things here and there in camp i'd eat some chips and whatever i felt like i might need to have to tie things in drink a little bit of ginger ale or maybe a little bit of red bull for some sugar or some caffeine and things like that but my fuel plans changed in the fact that i went a lot more natural and real and whole food than i did the processed stuff that i planned on taking which My body feels better when I'm on that normally, so why not do that on a regular basis, right? Why not have that in the race? So the mashed potatoes in a bag in the pocket and eating them throughout the loop and eating them throughout the legs and stretches of races will absolutely be a huge factor going forward and something that I use for these longer efforts and these more sustainable efforts like this. Next, how bad did the Sandy Trail beat you up? Did it make the post-run soreness worse? Uh, Yes. So the effort out there and having to push off and the unsure footing and the sand itself, I believe is what took a bigger toll on my knee and had some of that pain flare up. With that being said, the post-race soreness, I was probably a little bit more sore in certain places, in certain joints like my ankles, because I was having to push off. I was having to dig a little bit more and go through some of that sand and really fight it. Uh, So there was a little bit more of that post-run soreness, um, and the Sandy Trail did contribute to me being a little bit more beat up, especially my joints like my knee. Um, So yes, it did, but ultimately it wasn't as bad and as long of a road to recovery as I thought it might be. Next on that list, what was a key lesson you took away from this race that you'll apply to others? So that is that two sides and it's it's two opposite sides of the same coin and one is that making the smart decision decision to 
recover and to focus on staying healthy and not running yourself in the dirt or over pushing it whenever you have something going on like a knee issue. Making a smart decision and taking care of yourself is a very good move for your longevity. It's a very good move for making sure that you're getting back in the saddle, that you're going to be able to fight the next fight, that you can fight another day, right? Not that you're going to be down for a month or two like I have been in the past. So that was a very positive thing and something I feel like I can take away from this race. But also on the other side of that coin is that knowing what I know a couple of days out of this race and feeling absolutely able to run and great and my knee not having any pain uh, three days post-race, I've got to understand that the pain cave is a real place and that, that where I was in that race is an example of maybe the pain talking me out of doing something that I should have kept going for and that I should have relied on the fact that all my other muscles and my other joints weren't sore and I felt great and I didn't have any muscle fatigue and I was fueled properly and everything else was aligned and perfect. It was just the knee and I was worried about that and I didn't want that long road to recovery. So I let it eliminate me, but I feel like I could have pushed the envelope a little bit further and possibly came out with a win if I would have really dialed in and been smart with my knee. So next is how was the pain cave? Just mentioned it. How was the pain cave? What got you out of it? Does it tend to be the same thing that gets you out of it every time? So how was the pain cave? I mentioned having knee issues from mile 30. I was absolutely in the pain cave at that point. Um, I was battling that. It was back and forth. But what got me out of it was just being smart, understanding what were triggers for that knee pain, what were triggers for the issue that made things worse and made them immediately worse, right? So I figured out that if I went back to camp and I put my legs up straight and locked them out, my knee would have excruciating pain and I wouldn't be able to run whenever I fired it back up. However, if I kept it bent, Whenever I got things going, I would only have knee pain for a small amount of time on the first loop and I'd still be able to run and carry out what I was trying to do and what I was trying to accomplish. So what got me through it is just understanding the triggers and being smart with it and working it in a way that I could adapt and bring out the least amount of pain so it was manageable versus going in and just bearing down into into a spot where it was like all right I just got to grind through this I've got to do this I've got to do this kind of mindset I was much smarter about it and uh, does it tend to be the same thing that gets you out of it every time honestly yeah being smart with it being being careful with the approach and then whenever it's a pain that's that's a joint pain it's a true injury pain being smart with it. But whenever it's just a soreness like leg fatigue or joints or something that every other person is experiencing out there, because no matter what, if you're feeling pain, if you're in a bad spot, you can guarantee everyone else is having their own issues out there on the trail somewhere. So knowing that and seeing that and understanding that it is really just a temporary pain. It's something that's not going to stay with you it's not going to last it's not going to have lasting damage or some kind of major recovery side of thing with it that side of the pain cave yes just just grinding it out and making sure you're keeping your nose down and staying positive doing things to keep your mind off of it or steering into the skid and just gritting it and grinding it out 
Sometimes you can do that and come out the other side feeling way better once you push through it or you get to a break or something positive happens to the race like you get through the heat of the day and you feel the first cool down or you get to change your shoes out and you start to feel way better and your feet don't hurt as much just little things like that next what did this race do for your mental fortitude and more importantly mental peace well what this race did for my mental fortitude was it showed that i had a lot more left in the tank it showed that I was able to really do something that was pretty tough. It was it was pretty challenging, and I was able to do it pretty handily. So for my mental fortitude, I pushed through a lot of things. I pushed through a lot of pain. I played it smart. I was able to actually stick to my strategy and stay disciplined coming in at 50 minutes whenever there were people burning off and, and running really fast. Like I, I like to run a little bit quicker than the pace I was running. I'm not going to lie. Being disciplined to make myself walk every single uphill and downhill whenever there were people out there just hammering it out and looking at me funny and, and having to go around me and getting frustrated with me because I was in their way kind of stuff. Being mentally fortitude and, or, uh, being mentally strong and, and mentally at peace with that was a weird factor that I hadn't had to go through before. I'm used to gutting it out and being being tough and, and having to to force myself through the pain or the issues or the injuries or the want to quit. But forcing myself to have to slow down and run a race a smart way and stay disciplined to a strict plan like that, that race did a lot to strengthen that muscle for me to show that it's okay to not be the fastest one in the immediate spot, but because you're playing the long game, there's a plan there and there's more to it than just getting around that one loop first, right? So showing that mentally strong people and people that are capable of being very mentally strong isn't just grinding through the pain and forcing yourself to do 90 miles an hour as much as you can right now. It's also sticking to a plan and being super disciplined. The next question, hindsight is always 2020. Keeping the situation the same, would you have changed anything looking back? I would have changed what took me out of the race. I would have changed by sticking with it a little bit longer. I would have changed by understanding that while my knee is hurting, it's not a stabbing pain that I've had in the past. It's, it's a different kind of pain. And being able to differentiate the two from something that was going to be lasting and impactful and something that I needed to be really smart with the approach versus something that was recoverable and something I could quickly recover from. And I think having the knee pain and being gun shy and playing it smart was good, but also not taking my chance to win a race and really push myself in something that honestly I had a, I had a great shot at winning. And I, I don't know how far the other two would have gone if I would have stayed in, but I have a feeling I would have given them a damn good run for their money. And I had a really, really, really good shot at winning that race had I stayed in and taking those chances and realizing that they don't come all the time because a lot of times people are faster than you and a lot of times people are more experienced than you. But this was a battle of toughness and, and I had an opportunity to 
to really dominate in that area. And I played it smart instead of sticking with kind of my gut instinct going into it, if you will. So hindsight 2020, I would have gutted it out, stayed in and pushed myself to win. But you never know that. You never know if it's an injury that's really going to mess with you. If it's, if it's something that's really, you need to be worried about or, or careful of. And, and this race wasn't my be all end all of races. It wasn't what I planned for. It wasn't the, the biggest, biggest thing on my books. So I think playing it smart was still the right decision, but man, I would have loved to have come home with that first place plaque. So there's that for you. Next kind of a, kind of a funny question, but, um, how do you battle nipple chafing ointment or tape them down? Uh, whatever works for you. That, uh, that's the important one. I think on the chafing side of things is where I'd like to focus that, that question. Um, I like to use, there's uh there's some wipes I ran across from the running store locally that are, I think more of an oil based approach. Um, I wipe my feet down before I put them in the socks. I change my socks regularly to avoid, uh, blisters and chafing on my feet. Um, I'm really smart with where I put, uh, chafing ointments. I think ointments are better, uh, in the long run for all kinds of the different chafing and things like that. Um, whether it's on shorts lines, underwear lines, whether it's on uh, sensitive areas like nipples, arms, underarms, uh, anywhere your vest rubs. I think the ointment just gets on it, but uh, it does the best job. But with that said, um, it will also, if it's oil-based, it will stain through some clothes. So heads up there. Then uh, somebody had another simple question. How many changes of socks did you go through in this in a race this long? So I actually did two pairs of shoes and two pairs of socks is what I changed in and out of. Um, not too crazy, not too wild, just uh, just something to, to keep myself fresh and feeling good and a little bit of change of pace whenever I was starting to feel down. So it was a positive, positive change for me. Next, we have a, a really cool question, and uh, the guy that asked that question actually if you're seeing my shirt if you're watching on youtube this is my access recovery shirt here from mr chris barnes um, and mr kyle rogers um, if you don't know what they're up to they're starting a recovery business in conroe texas called access recovery it's absolutely phenomenal um, super stoked for those guys they should be opened here in the next few weeks uh, man hard to believe it's already on them like that but um, kyle actually just did a podcast um, i'll share the link um, on my page as well, get it out there. But I listened to it the other day and it was absolutely phenomenal. Um, but this question comes in from Kyle. Um, and it goes, as you've now embarked on the journey of parenthood and building your family, how have you managed the training schedule? Are there certain aspects you had to give up, uh, new schedules created? How did you manage the workload? So first and foremost, having a spouse that understands what I'm trying to do and supports me is absolutely imperative. I couldn't be doing this without my wife at all. Uh, what what she allows me to do with my training schedule and being gone for hours at a time for these long runs and all this craziness, man, it, it's something that you would never think to you'd run across uh, here in the the realm of sane people, right? Most people would be jumping up and down, uh, upset that I'm gone 
um, and rightfully so, but she is, she is bought into what we're trying to do and, and what this really means to everyone, including myself and, and those around me. So having her being supportive has been super, super great. As far as managing the, the training schedule, it's been a lot of really, really late night runs in the dark or really, really early uh, morning runs in the dark. It's been sneaking it into the schedule on lunch breaks when I can, whatever I can to to try to make sure that I'm very intentional. And along with that, on managing the training schedule, having a clear laid out plan for what I have to do that day makes all the difference. Uh, not guessing, not going by feeling, not going by how I how I want to run that day, but instead going by the plan is of the utmost importance because whether I feel like it or not, I've got 10 miles on the books today. Whether I feel like it or not, I've got to run a 30 miler on Saturday. So plan accordingly, prepare accordingly, and more or less get it together because one way or another is coming for you and and this is your only shot you have at getting it done. So let's get it done. Certain aspects I had to give up. Um, I did back off of having a seven day a week full load balls to the wall schedule. Uh, I was very tactical with my runs, long runs on the weekends, shorter runs sprinkled throughout the week, rest days and recovery that I was able to be smarter on how I managed my family time. Um, also backed off on the weights because that was another hour long commitment or more during the day that I was tied up for. So really why our daughter was younger, um, and very, 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 uh, needy on those early couple of months. Um, and normally like a baby is, it was a lot harder to try to sneak in all these crazy run sessions and lifting sessions. So I really backed off. I, uh, I decided what was important and I focused on those goals and, and I'm starting actually, uh, to cycle back in this week lifting and some of the other adaptations I want to do and spending more time on myself is going to be earlier mornings. It's going to be, uh, later nights, I'm sure, but it's really something that, that has to be balanced and managing the workload, man, that's a great question because it's, it falls into the realm of 75 hard and, and all these great programs that you see out there that make you check all the boxes and do all of the things in a day and stick to a program. It shows you that managing your workload, you have more time than you think. It's just how disciplined you are, how your approach is, where you choose to do it, when you choose to do it. If maybe it's not waking up and doing my run first thing in the morning because that's when my wife could use a little bit more help with the baby. Maybe it's running not so or later at night because during the 7 to 9 p.m. time, there's a whole lot going on with bath time and there's a whole lot going on with with feedings and getting the baby ready for bed and, and getting her down and all that good stuff. It's a little bit more effort in the evening. So knowing that my run needs to be out of the line of that, um, just just making sure the schedule lines up so that fits for both of us. And then with the workload, man, you've got to add in recovery. Recovery is not something you can let go. I think there's a big group of us that are starting to focus more on that here and not running ourselves in the dirt like we have for a long time because there's kind of a badge of honor or a chip that you wear on your shoulder being the guy that's always going, that's always doing more than everyone else, that's always got the most steps, the most calories burned, the most intensity minutes on your watch. And while that's 
cool. I mean, it's, it's, it's good. It's not something that's conducive to a healthy relationship with running, staying injury free. It's not something that's conducive to having the best output and the best approach to your gym time every single day. If you're going to have only a limited amount of time, don't show up, run down and in, in, in the dirt, right? Show up and, and give yourself the best shot to, to have a good session, to have a productive session, one that you can be proud of and that you can say that you had enough energy in you to put forward an effort that's actually going to yield some results. So that's how I've been managing the workload is listening to my body, playing into the recovery a little bit more, but also whenever it is time to get after it, I make sure I have the energy, make sure I have things geared up and, and I get after it. So that's really the end of the question section besides one last question. And what we'll close the podcast out on is a little bit of an announcement, but as the question goes, I had two people, my wife and my good friend, Mr. Lane Divin, the lanes in my life, as I like to say, um, asked me the question, what is next in line for me? And with that, I would like to officially put out there into the world and add it to the schedule that on May 6th through 11th of 2024, we will be traveling to Arizona, Black Canyon City is where it's starting, to run the Cocodona 250. If you remember, I paced, and my dad paced, Daniel Gilliam at the Cocodona 250 last year out in Arizona. It's the 250-mile uh, ultramarathon that runs from Black Canyon City to Flagstaff, Arizona. Is an extremely challenging race. It is 40,000 foot of elevation gain across 250 miles of trails, a couple of different mountain ranges. It is point to point, non repeating. You have to have a crew out there to support you. If you're a normal person like me, you can do it with drop bags and if you're just a little bit more hard nosed. But man, this is going to be like a beast that I've never encountered in my life. It is the elevation, it is the distance, it is. Something that I've been absolutely infatuated with since it was born. I think it's been going on for going on four years. And before I was in shape, before I was, I was still a fat guy eating like crap, not running, drinking like crazy. And I saw this race and I was like, holy smokes, that is the coolest thing in the world. And to go from that point of a dream, one day I'll run that race to, Tomorrow starts day one of my training cycle to go attack this thing. It's it's insane. It's phenomenal. It's so cool. So what's next in line for me is the Cocodona 250. It is going to be an absolute investment. That's why I'm doing a training run of 100K out at a very char- challenging race in Bandera with a lot of technical stuff and elevation training because it'll be very tailored to what I'm trying to do. There will be likely another 100-mile race between here and there. There will be a lot of long training runs, a lot of craziness, and a hugely packed schedule. So I hope y'all stick around for that. I hope y'all go with us as we achieve and try to achieve and strive for these huge, huge things. So... That's what we got, guys. That's what's next in line for me. And I appreciate y'all going through this recap with me. I appreciate all the people that were involved with the Big Tex Backyard Ultra. It was amazing. Trail Running Over Texas puts on an amazing event. Cal had some awesome, awesome rewards. And if you're on YouTube, actually, hang on. 
holding up right now my little uh, wooden plaque with my mileage on it. It's uh, 18 loops, 75 miles. doesn't say third place on it, but I'm kind of glad it doesn't because that would just uh, put the knife in a little bit further because I'm still a little bit salty with myself. There's nobody else to be mad about, but uh, not to mad at but myself on that one. But a cool reward from an awesome group over there. Um, also, congrats to Cal uh, going and setting a new course record at the, uh, I think it was the Marine Marathon. Um, this past weekend, uh, which was a, uh, he ran a 50 K out there, did it in two fifty five, I think was this time. So just absolutely insane. And he's an awesome dude. Uh, and trusting over Texas, great association to be, to, to be with a great trail running organization to be part of and run some races under. So that's it guys. That's the big ticks backyard ultra over in cat spring, Texas. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, shoot me a DM on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. That's at Next in Line Development on all three of those platforms. Guys, go out, do challenging things. It doesn't have to be an ultra marathon. It can just be taking those first steps down the path for a proper diet, for getting out the door and going for a walk, being more active, for uh, being able to chase around the grandkids or the kids, or to be the person that you want to be again, right? So we've all been there. It's something we all have to do at some point and I hope we can stay along and motivate you and encourage you to be that person so guys that's all I have do hard things let us know how we can help and always be prepared for whatever is next in line <laughs>